Hello, and welcome to Shape the System, where we find and tell the stories that help people to rethink the way the world works. We interview people from all over the world who are helping to change our systems for the better. Shape the System is an independent podcast with support from KPMG High Growth Ventures, who help ambitious founders and their teams scale up for success. More about KPMG High Growth Ventures after the interview. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Shape the System. Uh, today, joined by Stephen Woodlands. How are you, Stephen? I'm great, thank you. And you? Uh, you know, just uh, getting through it today. Like, um, we're trying a new system, which is should be much better in audio and, and, and audio visual as well. So that's kind of exciting. Um, but let's jump straight in. Like Head Start Homes, uh, I got to know you a couple of years ago, actually intrude through a really long time, good friend of mine, which is always awesome. Uh, and like, I, I just let's, I want to unpack it a little bit. I want to explain to people what it is and what's going on. Um, so let's just jump straight into Head Start. Well, Head Start's a not-for-profit that helps okay. primarily mums, First Nations people and people with a disability achieve their home ownership dreams. And we right. do that primarily by moving structural uh, barriers that stop them getting in. Okay. And that's, so let's talk about these structural barriers. So uh, we found that well, we know that the two biggest barriers is the deposit and yeah. pretty much all Australians will face that as a barrier. There's a number of ways that they can get around that barrier. And then for our um, applicants or home starters in particular, it's the know-how. How do I even start the journey if I've never had any hope or my parents have never done it or where do I even go? Can I trust right. the bank? And we, we kind of help facilitate that. We have a holistic approach from meeting us all the way through into the home purchase. Okay. And just so I want to, let's drill into it. There's a bunch of different parts of this I want to understand. So you just talked a little bit about the type of people who are, are your customers. That's the word you would have for them? What, what, we we call the them word? home starters or applicants. Home starters? Yeah, home starters. Yep. What do you call yourself then? Uh, we're Head Start Homes. So. Head Start Homes and then a home starter. Okay, yeah, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're, they're, they're of a, um, you gave some examples of, of like de- demography or, or the like. So I'm, I'm curious about that and let's, let's talk about that. But also, they're, are they in a particular sort of state? Like in terms of where, what are they doing now? Are they renting at the moment or are they in certain types of housing? Like let's understand that a bit more. Yeah, so our applicants are in community housing. Uh, yep. That's either pr- uh, social housing or public housing housing. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, we help uh, applicants who are in community housing, uh, recognizing by doing that and by helping them into home ownership, we then free up a space um, for another household or family who's likely to be on a wait list, a social housing wait list, and then they can move into that newly vacated home. And we call that our multiplier effect for ending poverty because we're always right. helping at least two families at once. Yeah, and so and there's I, I, there's a part of that I want to go into more detail because that bit is almost counterintuitive, but makes sense once you explain it. Um, but just coming back to the home starter, yeah. Uh, so their their current situation, they've been in social housing or community housing. By the way, what's the difference between those two? Or is it like are they two different words for the same thing, or are there actually a difference? It does get a little bit confusing. So community housing is run by community housing providers and they're right. basically other charities like your Mission Australia's, your St. Saint, Saint um, And basically what they're doing is they're getting a whole lot of the public housing, which is government, is being transferred over to them and they're doing right. a really good job at looking after tenancies. And they're really innovative organisations as well because they don't only manage the tenancies, they also build the stock. So they're a mix right. between developer and also uh, tenancy manager. Okay, cool. So there's, they're, they're, they're essentially performing the same function. They're just being run by a different group of people and potentially in a slightly different way, um, but to the same end. And I think part of the challenge with this multiplier 
thing uh, is that that people get in there in, into social housing or community housing and then get stuck there is sort of the problem. And, and the the idea of getting a, you know a home starter and saying you're actually in a position to have your own home. Um, we just need to take you on a journey to do that, and that helps you, but it helps the next person who comes into into that into that community housing. Yeah, absolutely right. So what we're find, finding now is that the homelessness rate in Australia is is huge. Over 100,000 Australians today are homeless, yeah. and one of the primary causes for that is wait lists into social housing. So there's around right. four, 400,000 households that live in social housing, but then there's another 200,000 households who are on a wait list desperately trying to get in. Now, they're waiting 10 to 20 years to get allocated to a social housing home, and that has all kind of flow-on effects. If you don't have that stable home, then you don't know where to you don't know how to go to school, you know, you, your parents are struggling to right. get a roof over your head and not being able to concentrate and work. So there's huge, you know, uh, community consequences for that. But as you said, what's happening also is the, the social housing system or community housing system used to work as a transition. It's, it's called the housing continuum, but it's mm-hmm. now currently the housing discontinuum. You get in there, you get stuck. We call it a social housing traffic jam. Um, right. And we're all about uh, ending that social housing traffic jam and getting it to function the way it should. And the best way to do that is to provide equal access to opportunity, equal access to home ownership, equal access to a more stable form of housing. Got it. And that's what we know that our home starters want, and that's what they're willing to do. They share the Australian dream of right. owning their own home, but currently they get they've got next, next to no chances to do it. Okay, and so you talked a little bit before about those kind of barriers and those sort of two main things. Um, one being the deposit and the other being kind of the know-how to get through the process, I think it was. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the deposit. So this is a traditional kind of mortgage lending situation. You know, a bank or a broker will say, hey, you need to come up with at least 5%, if not 10, 15, 20%. And in any capital city or even any city in Australia, that's probably, you know, it's a material amount of money in anyone's sense. So like, let's talk a little bit about how that part of the process works or so, yeah, we, we, we range in relation to removing the deposit as a barrier. We provide what we call our Head Start Guarantee. And right. effectively, by doing that, we act as bank of mum and dad or parents. So, right. traditionally, we're leveraging off an existing product, which uh, a lot of Australians use, and it's called the Parental uh, Guarantee. And right. what happens there is a parent says, hey, bank, um, support my child into their home. And if something goes wrong, you have access to my child's home, but you also have access to our child, uh, home. And that right. way, the bank's um, happy to lend without the need for a deposit. Today yeah. in Australia, the majority of first home buyers do so from the support of Bank of Mum and Dad. And right. it's the first time in our history whether as to whether you get it into your own home is more dependent on your parents' wealth than your own personal endeavours. Right. So we're about recognising that and providing that equal access to opportunity. All Australians should have that e- equal access. So the way, sure. the way we do that is we go... Um, we, we want to act as parents, but pro- rather than providing a second home as security, we'll provide to you bank cash that sits in a term deposit with you, which acts as that second security. If nothing goes wrong, then you give that money back to us with interest and we can use that for another home starter. Interesting. Okay. So what you're effectively doing here is creating a like a, a security deposit type of scenario where you vet the head, the home starter. Yep. I'm going to call them the right language. Uh, <laughs> and you say, you know what, you've qualified for our program and we're, um, the, the, the barrier here for you not having deposit, we have a solution to that for you. Uh, and we provide that to the bank for a period of time. What is that, a few years? or Between three and 10 years, just depending on, because it's based to the LVR. So it's depending right. on principal repayments, but just as importantly, house prices going up. 
Yep. So yep. if house prices stay the same and you just do the principal, it'll be 10 years. Got On it. Traditionally, parental guarantees in the market that we just had were being released between two and three years. Got it, got it. So they basically, they get their enough equity to, to unlock um, the need for that for that equity component. Yeah, and then that cycles back through. You say you earn some some interest on top of that. The uh, where's where are where are those funds coming from then? So we've we've been doing some work to capital raise, um, and yeah. primarily those funds at the moment uh, through our proof of model stage has been come from other uh, through government and through other charities. So right. Aboriginal Housing Office, uh, Mercy Foundation, Wyatt Foundation, Adelaide Benevolence Society yep. have all provided funds, recognizing that. What we're doing, there's a huge social return in what we're doing because we're enabling families to leave poverty forever because home ownership is the proven way to end intergenerational poverty because when you own your own home, um, your housing costs go down over time as you pay off your mortgage, you have something to rely on in retirement, and you also have something to hand over your kids. So it's actually the proven way to end that intergenerational poverty. Yeah, there's. I mean, and I'm going to jump into all of those those multipliers because you talked about one and, and just someone getting it, and then someone else being able to move in. I feel like that's the tip of the iceberg in the multipliers here. Yeah. But just coming back to the, what's interesting to me about this idea with the, um, the funds coming in and playing a role for three to ten years, however long that is, is it? It feels it, it feels similar to like a, uh, like a Kickstarter, uh, not a Kickstarter, a um, the crowdfunding. What's it called? The what am I talking about? Microfinance. Yeah. Kiva. Sorry, excuse my total. I'm in Kickstarter land at the moment. It's probably not helping. But the, the Kiva microfinance where you, you're you cycling money through through a system and as a result, the underlying capital that's being provided by whoever it is, right? It could be an individual or a foundation or a government. It's getting to be used again and again and again for, for a benefit rather than a one-off type of things, an investment in in that. And is this, this is how these these foundations or whatever look at this, right? Which is they can put a bucket of money over here and say, right, let's let's repurpose this money to have this continuous impact. Is that is that the engagement that you have with them or it is. We we can show, look, there's a multiplier effect exactly like you said, and it just keeps on growing. The funds keep on recycling and recycling. We can help more and more people in relation to that. And that really makes us stand out to other not-for-profits. You yeah. know, usually when you give a charity or not a profit a dollar, that dollar's spent and you never see it again. But for yeah. us, provided there's no default, it stays in the system forever and keeps on growing through that interest. So it's right. a really great way for people to multiply their impact and also for corp- corporations to show how they're providing a sustainability because that sustainability metric keeps on multiplying as well over time. Yeah. And and is that so? My mad like we we met a few years ago, and the, the vision has been really clear. And and like you've been um, like some of the marketing of, of this and the, has been and the messaging has been amazing. So you've been on point this whole time. And just like when we spoke two years ago, I think that model was just starting. So like I want to understand the like bringing these foundations on this ride. Like how how has that been? Like and how have you sort of overcome the kind of inertia of well we'll do it as long as we see it working and no one goes first? I'm assuming that's the major challenge here. But yeah, it talk was, us through that a bit. I kind of had a model that I'm keep on going. I'm going to keep on going until someone tells me it's a stupid idea. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how any good things have happened, by the way. <laughs> and that's kind of served me well. And then I learned along the journey that once you get one you know organization on board, then more people are going to follow. 
I've right. also had the privilege of meeting some really wonderful people who, who and on, on organisations such as Westpac Group that have believed in the good and what we're doing and believed right. in the vision and, and the way that it can really bring about a fundamental shift in society. So we've right. been really lucky and today we have about 75 organisations that are supporters of what we're doing, believe in the cause and many, many more volunteers yeah. that, are, that are all on board because, you know, as we all believe that everyone should have equal access to home ownership and everyone should have a safe and stable home, which is the, the, the main vision of, of, of what we do is providing a safe and stable home for all families and then providing that link into home ownership to help support that. Got it. And so when you talked about the 75 there, that this is 75 organisations who are helping to fund the those those deposit funds or, or, or operating more broadly than that potentially? or Just so who are willing to say that we support what Head Start Homes do. Some, a lot yep. of them provide in-kind support. I think over the last year or two, it's been $1.2 million in in-kind support. Others, Amazing. Yeah, others have provided, and that's the big law firms like uh, King & Wood Mallison's and Cause Lawyers. Yep. You know, they yep. did all of this pro bono, which was huge. And then we've had organizations like Saatchi helping us with our marketing and also Electric yep. Mind Films. We're just about to release a really great film. So we've been so gifted by that because corporations and people also really want to feel they're making a difference and they want to, you know, help uh, organizations where they can see are going to make meaningful change. Yeah. And look, I, I, in, it's int- I mean, we spoke to the Solar Buddy crew a while back who have this uh, amazing solution for solving energy poverty. Uh, and I, I under, was trying to unpack a little bit more about their funding model. They're not non-profit also. And we were trying to draw the distinction between the money required and the services required to sustain and run the underlying entity. And in their case, they had to go and buy a physical thing to then you know, give that thing to a person in sub-Saharan or, or wherever it was that needed the device. Uh, and they had, I guess they had two funding challenges in that respect. And you know, I've I've seen like your yearbooks and or annual reports, and and they're amazing. They would they outperform some of the you know the ASX listed companies have worse ones. Like they're beautiful, beautiful things. And I, I wonder, like, is there a big part of this, like, you know, a big enabler for you now is to work out how to get ten million dollars? That means that you can get, run a hundred of these programs or have a hundred of these houses because that's that's like the big lever here, right? Absolutely. So the the, the motto is also being. You know, we've just proved the model works. So when right. we started this, everyone said, no, you can't do this. Um, <laughs> two big biases that, that we come across. The first right. one is that, you know, people in social housing, they don't want to own their own home or they're not able to do it. So, you know, why right. would we help you with that? And then the other one that is kind of related to that is that on no, you know, we might be a, an organization that help these uh, people and we're better at helping them and they need to stay there because they can't look after themselves. What drives our model is empowering empowered individuals make the best decisions for their own lives and, yeah. and we've had to we've had to drive through that and we're mm. so proud that with our with our first um home starter charlene she's yeah. proved absolutely proved the model she's gone from homelessness to home ownership she's a proud um aboriginal mum with three beautiful children and by her purchasing that home she then freed up another home for a mum who was homeless could move into yeah. that social housing home and is now reunited with her five kids so that's what we're talking about, the power of the model. And absolutely, yeah. um, Charlene, when she got the idea that she could own her own home, that we were going to support her, you just saw the behavioural shift. She was just remarkable. She's had over a 1,000% increase in her savings. And she said, oh, now that I know this is possible, my behaviours are going to change and I'm going to do all I can do to get a home for my kids. And it was so beautiful to see. Uh, we, call, we call that hope, which is the engine room of what makes Head Start Homes work. And, and yeah. I'm so privileged to be able to see that you know, on a day-to-day basis. That's about, I'm getting like shivers like 
feedback here from all of that. Like I listen to good dance music or that story is just it's amazing. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I just you, you don't really think about this. I think you take it for granted when you either have stable employment or you've grown up in a stable household and uh, don't realize the impact that that might have on your, not only your ability on a day-to-day basis, but your belief in what's possible and what your efforts might be contributed towards. You just spoke about a thousand percent change in her like day-to-day financial behavior. She just went, you know what, if I can do this, then you tell me what I need to do and I'll make that happen. And there was a whole massive amount of behavior change. So talk me through a little bit that and a little bit more. Well, what, what people don't understand is that people living in community housing, um, they're treated differently than the rest of the market. So effectively, right. they're punished for furthering their career and they may even get evicted if they earn too much. So right. it creates this huge disincentive for people living there to, 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 to work. And and the main way that they're punished is the more they earn, the more rent they pay. And if right. they earn too much, they end up paying market rent. So a lot of the time they say, well, why am I going to work if I have no extra disposable income? Right. And I experienced that through my mum, uh, through my, my, my personal story, just how, just how de- debilitating that is to right. see people being punished because they're trying. Uh, it just, it's just, you know, all around the wrong way. You know, it's disincentive when there should be incentive. And when you provide that incentive to people that have never had it before, you see the most remarkable shift and it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's an, um, like, it's uh, ironic given I'm just trying to balance in my head, like, you know, a democratic, you know, free market society that says, you know, all your endeavors return to you that says, hey, Every time you do better, we're going to take a bit more of that. So we're going to reduce the incentive to actually do, which is the thing we want you to do anyway. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. <laughs> and then on top of that, you've got, you know, 200,000 families trying to get in and then you've got people right. in that are paying market rent and getting no government subsidy. So it just doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, and then you also have mothers saying, look, I would love to own my own home, but I'm scared about leaving the, the, the home being evicted by trying to do that. So it's, you know, and you hear that a lot. You hear people putting off work. You hear people, you know, putting off their dreams effectively because they're punished. Yeah, and putting off being part of what sounds like progress. Absolutely, absolutely. And so a lot of the, uh, you know, you talked a little bit before about the second part, which is is a, a, you know, there's organisations who, I wouldn't say they like the status quo, but their view on the world is the best way to help people is to help them where they are and not give them the tools to empower themselves to change. Is that a lot of the... The challenge for you is, is re-education is probably too strong a word, but actually showing the market, hey, there's a different way and a better way to do this stuff? Yeah, we, we find, you know, we, I said before we help always help two families, but there's also a third family or, or a group of people we help, and that's people living in community housing. Um, we right. provide we, we provide a mirror to themselves to say, hey, look, you can achieve your dreams. And then also to externals, we shine a different light onto those living in community housing and try and remove those biases um, so people yeah. understand, hey, we're all the same. And really, it's our circumstances that affect whether we can have equal access to opportunity. And where there are barriers to equal access, access to opportunity, we should remove them because that's not the Australian way. Yeah. And this idea that it's easy to say, I mean, I I would be the first to admit that I grew up in a pretty privileged circumstances in terms of the stability of the family unit that I was in, opportunity for enterprise for myself and, you know, all, and all of those types of things that I, I would be the first to admit that I take for granted. Um, but this idea that there's a, I guess, a, a reframing for people to say, you know what, if we do give you access to equal opportunity, 
then it's, it is your opportunity to do something about that. And we can't make you do that, right? You need to change whatever the thing is that goes on your side. But if you do that, there is, it isn't for lack of opportunity. And I think that, that case study with Charlene, did I get that? Charlene, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like it's, it's like fascinating and amazing. If you've got a, hopefully you've got a link to it. We'll, we'll link that into the in the description. We can send people off to, to have a look at that. Sure. Um, and so, so where you're going now? So, it, was it two years ago that you started this? I feel like it was a couple, maybe a tad longer uh, than that. I started it five years ago. Um, right. That was just a dream, and I started getting paid for it to do it to work on it about two two years ago. So before right. that, it was just part time. And then at some point it started getting so much momentum that I had to yep. move working onto it full time. So it was probably about two years. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> God, I just want to get my timelines right. <laughs> and so is, is Charlene the, the, the proof that, that sort of makes the dam break here for you? Or is there, have you got to take that and? How do, how do you blow this up, I guess, is my question. Yeah, so for us, it's, it's the proof that we were looking for. And, right. you know, that moment for, for me and for everyone else and for Charling is priceless, something we'll never forget. It's priceless for her children and also yeah. for that other family that now have a home. Um, but, no, this is uh, we're, we're moving into a new phase now that we've proved the model works. Um, and that phase is all about, well, how do we make this scale up? How do we help as many families? And to do that, we're really looking in at the different value propositions along the chain, who are right. we helping? and how can they help us so that we can help them and that's the type of conversation that we're uh, getting into and looking to now with the strategic growth yeah and and typically who you know you talked about these 75 organizations helping more broadly and you know in kind or you know in whatever way uh, but you know a big part of the unlock here is actually finding funds to actually have the deposit product you know to to initiate a transaction with someone who's ready my guess is you've got more people ready to transact than people who you can transact Oh, absolutely. Be, so we've never absolutely, had yeah. we've never 200,000 of them from memory. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, there's around 200,000, but then it's around 5 to 10% who are paying market rent uh, right. that, that we would look to target, which is right. still a really big number. It's around 40,000. Don't forget it's a pipeline. So, right. you know, as, as the continuum works again, you've got the people on the waiting list coming through. You come back in. Yeah. yeah and, and it's a continuing pipeline. So it's ongoing. Yeah. So we've never had a fear of demand and already, you know, we've never advertised to, te- to tenants what we're doing, but we already right. are getting a lot of, you know, please, please help. Right. Um, and even the way that we found Charlene was from a direct referral from our community housing provider. So for, from word, word of mouth, they know their right. tenants, they know who's been a great homeowner, who's never missed a rental payment and who's ready yeah. to, to make this move. So yeah. absolutely. But the funds is the one thing that will slow, up, will slow us down, which, which we need to really accelerate. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I imagine from your perspective, having a you know a proof in the behaviour change and a proof in the outcome goes moves mountains when it comes to these things. And I, th- I think you know if you think of what like take Charlene's example, not I don't think it was exact numbers. Obviously, it's her home, um, but you know the the the, the val- roughly the value of the house she's moving into, and therefore the the deposit is in tens of thousands. I'm presuming like it's forty or fifty thousand to get someone into this program. Yeah, it's it's actually currently it's around seventy thousand. Yeah. Um, that's at an LVR of 20%, but we're in negotiations right. to get that LVR down to 10%, which halves right. the amount that we need to raise, which is fabulous. Yeah. We're hoping that to come through soon. So it is, but don't forget that that's, you know, that's a, a 40,000 or 70,000 that will come back to us between three and 10 years and keeps on getting recycled. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I guess where I'm trying to go with this is that the types of organizations, foundations or private companies, you know, I think about companies who have like a, a corporate giving program. And if you say to them, well, like, what is it on an annual basis that comes out of that program? Well, $40,000 comes out of that program. We're, you know, a law firm with 100, 150 people or whatever that is. 
you would start to look at that and go, you're in in the field of being able to play in that space where it's like, do you want to do that thing once or would you like that investment to, you know, to be recurring? And like, there's a really large audience of, of large companies um, across a bunch of industries who can, can, can really play in this. Yeah, which is a great point. And, and look, why giving is good. And, and we do talk about giving. We're moving away. You know, we're starting to think as a board for upscaling about shared um, getting or, or, or both all organizations winning. And that's where we're yeah. really looking at our value proposition. So with our model, everyone wins. Government wins by a reduction right. in homelessness, reduction yeah. in wait lists, more wealthy. Um, you know, people become more affluent. So they pay bigger taxes. Uh, people aren't in hospital as much. People aren't in prison as much because we're reducing right. homelessness. Banks yeah. win because they're getting more home loans. So, you know, that's actually a thing that is, is valuable to banks by getting more home loans. Um, importantly, the home loan that they're providing is at a discounted rate and, and next to no fees, but they're still getting a new customer base from that. And we all know that as customers become, you know, have their home loan, they become more affluent and more likely to get more banking products. Developers or builders, you know, the, the more people that, you know, previously had no option into getting a, into home ownership that now are, well, there's going to be more homes built. There's going to be more right. of a need for homes. So it's actually a whole ecosystem which we're supporting. And we're really trying to move, you know, move, move away from seeing us as a cost or giving and seeing us, you know, as a, as a shared contributor to helping your business to grow. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's a super fun. I mean, we had um we had Sam Khalil from the Casa Capage, who is a property developer but build homes specifically for um, people with accessibility issues. And they work closely with some of the organizations you were talking about uh, and basically said, we made a better product. We made a thing that was actually desirable for someone who has those conditions. And so people want to live there. But the the shared equity model with that um, was that the government said, we'll only reward you if people are actively staying in these places. If they don't want to be there, then you obviously haven't done your job right. And so their nonprofit, because it's an arm of their finance and development arm, is basically a net contributor to what is economic activity and actually something that no, you would want beyond a non-profit. I'm sort of making air quotes when I say that. Yeah. Um, so I want to come back to the multiplier thing because this we, we sort of brushed over a little bit. Um, and I want you just to unpack a bit of the, like there's the multiplier of one person and, you know, we talked about Charlene and her three three children and even the generation beyond that. And then the, the person coming in, let's let's try to go down all the multiplier rabbit holes here, <laughs> sure. like the direct ones and then the ones that you're like, hey, look, if we have 100 of these, then this is what happens. Yeah. Um, well, th- that's wonderful. So absolutely, if you, if you think about multiplying that out and the amount of families that you're helping to become empowered, it's huge. So as we said, we've, we've talked about the benefits of home ownership for Charlene and, and, right. and the role model she's become for her parents. So another a story that makes me feel really happy is I remember Charlene telling me that when she started to see herself becoming a homeowner, she became more confident at work and she actually got a yeah, promotion. And she really? also said that, oh, look, I'm really happy because my son's going to school today and saying, mummy bought a new house and how that made her feel, but also the kids. So right. you see a, a complete shift through this journey. But then right. also for that 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 homeless mum who's moving into the home, she'll get all the support services provided by, by her um housing provider, which is community housing limited, which have been absolutely wonderful through this journey that, that they're our first pilot um, yep. community housing provider. And uh, yeah, so now she's going to be able to get on her feet. She's going to be able to concentrate on looking after her kids while being supported to do so, so that they can have that stable life and uh, and go on to build you know, happy and fulfilled lives. Yeah. And then like, I remember when we spoke about this a little while back, um, and I, I think you gave me a presentation on this, but I've also seen the data elsewhere. There was a it was a kind of an upstream downstream kind of problem that doesn't immediately come to mind, which is if you have someone who 
Because but I think I'll come back a step. Homelessness is kind of a spectrum, right? It's not you're you know under a cardboard box or living in a house. There's this kind of continuum from you know you have a home to you don't really want to be in that home because of some situation at that house to you're couch surfing, you haven't got a fixed address to you know beyond that. I don't know the stages, um, and so you've you've got to go to continuum. And in a lot of respects, a lot of the things that happen along that continuum get worse as you go down and are probably correlated or causation. So mental health issues, you know, drug abuse, poor health, whatever these things are that are that are sort of aligned or, or are happening as as you go further further down that. Um, and the the impacts to society, whether you're measuring in cost or, you know, however you want to measure that, gets worse as further you go down as well. So if you're having to help people here you know, at the end of that continuum, it's infinitely harder and worse and more expensive than if you uh, there's some problem avoidance up up the top end. And what was fascinating to me when I first heard about your model was that you're playing in this at the top end of this, which is kind of a preventative measure more than a kind of you know palliative measure. Have you have you managed to understand how that? Like the the unit economics of that, like that's probably not the right word, but um, yeah, was, we've got like a, a social return metric which shows right. in in the first year that we save around four dollars, but then it multiplies right up to twenty seven dollars per year because of the multiplier effect, and and that yeah. looked at you know re- reduced rates of homeless, uh, so homelessness, how that will result in re- reduced rates of being in hospital, um, right. of committing crime, and all sorts of things like that. So so absolutely, we, we do we do have that, but I think fundamental to our model is exactly what you touched on is the power of empowering or disempowering and if you disempower people not only is it harmful for them it's also harmful for the whole community if you empower people and give them equal access to opportunity then it's wonderful for them and it's wonderful for the whole community and and that's kind of what what you know drives head start homes that's what we know we we know it to our core and we we absolutely you know strongly believe believe in doing uh, in in supporting that type of model you know going the hope positive um form always works and just on that um in relation to being you know uh to 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 addressing the cause not the symptom we absolutely Mm. do that and for our next applicant who we're calling hope um she's you know a single mum who is around you know around 50 or older and that's actually the largest growing rate of homelessness in australia and we know if we get in there now we'll be able to stop her because she's a, you know at high risk of becoming an elderly single mom who's homeless. Right. And right. I, I go on to say, look, if we've got a problem in Australia where we've got single mums who have worked their whole lives, hopes a nurse, and end up being homeless, then we've got a real problem because right. mums should not be homeless after bringing up children and working. And we really have to address that as well. Yeah, it seems counterintuitive. And like sort of related to that point, you touched a bit before about some of the barriers here. Um, like you know, what what's been the struggle for you the last two or three years in in getting to where you are? Like, is it changing hearts and minds, or is it like literally the you talked a lot about you know, or you talked touched on the idea of you know the involvement of lawyers? Is it actually trying to find the right structures to enable this thing to exist in the first place? What's the barrier? Yeah, the the the, the biggest barriers were probably just the regulations. So we're we're working, right. you know, we're working from a space of housing to um, banking and finance all, all the way into home purchase. So right. I've got to say, you know, working with government has been rewarding and it's also been challenging. <laughs> uh, so, so, <laughs> I love that you're led with rewarding. 
I always like to start with the positive. So some of the reg- <laughs> case in point. <laughs> so, some of the regulators have been great. For instance, Oztrack, they they gave us an exemption, and that was just right. an absolute. You know, that was just a one a beautiful to to work with them and achieve that. Right. But then I guess one of the biggest challenges we have um, the the Australian Charities Commission saying, look, we're not going to give you. DGR status, or we're not going to um, acknowledge you as a charity because what you're doing, you're being so effective at what you're doing. By the time they apply for that loan, they're no longer in poverty, and therefore we're, go- we're going to nullify all the work you did before. And not only that, <laughs> the, there's no direct link in what you're doing into freeing up social housing for people on a wait list. And mm. we've been working with them for two years about that and saying, well, look, can you, you know, we can prove to you there's a direct link. And they just say, oh, no, there's no direct link. Or And, and that's been a real challenge. Um, mm. Probably the most frustrating thing because we've got, you know, everyone else on board apart from the government saying, look, you know, we're not going to give you tax concessions in right. order to be able to do what you're doing. On that note, I just want to jump in and say we, the ATO, you know, we, we are recognised as a not-for-profit and we've got tax right. concessions there, which is fabulous. And, um, you know, we're really we're really happy that we, we have got that support from different organisations on the way. But if you told me at the start that, you know, we would be told that, hey, what you're doing isn't, you know, of, of providing charitable relief, then... Right. I just would never, you know, believe right. that. Like, I'm getting that. up every day, working <laughs> my guts out for zero money for the first two years, like to somehow make this happen. Yeah. Just, just on that though, and like it's more of a curiosity for me, like it sounds like the model could be self-sustaining. What's the necessity for it to be a non-profit? Uh, good point. So, uh, you know, if it, that there isn't, and that's what we're looking at the moment, it might actually end up being a blessing in disguise. Um, yeah. So. We, we're we're authorized by the states to fund this is to, to raise funds to charity so we can get donations but we just right. don't get the the tax deduction uh, as dgr status uh, so if you give us 10 bucks then you won't get the that as right. tax deductible but that's yeah, fine because we're not really seeing at the end of the day that that's where a lot of the funds are going to come from before as i said before, before i sh- shared giving or you know that's where we see the the, the trajectory there um so yeah i think um, so we're, we're, uh, that, that's that's kind of absolutely right. We are looking at all models, and you know, to yeah. date, the model is serving us well. The not-for-profit model, but we're going to look at all models because as long as it's, we're staying true to purpose and then be able to help as many families like Charlene into their own home, then that's yeah. absolutely crucial for what we're doing. And we want to—we're calling it good growth. We want to yeah. grow in a way that's sensible and true to purpose, and we'll look at all different measures, which is what exciting time for us now because that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah, it's super, super cool. I think, I mean, ultimately we, you know, we've tried to put labels on things. Oh, this one doesn't, is a non-profit and it's a charity and it has to operate a certain way. And this one's a company, it must be for profit and that's where its motivations are. I'm like, why? We, I mean, ultimately we made it all up anyway. Like, <laughs> money doesn't exist in the natural world. It's a, it's a byproduct of our, our own existence and way of wanting to function with each other. It's a social construct more than anything. So, Absolutely. you know. And and you could be a you know a non profit in one country and and a for profit in another like it's incredibly subjective anyway. Um, I want I want to come back to how you arrived here because your backstory on this is is interesting and quite you know close to home. Talk us through that. Yeah, so I guess um, you know attached to the to the Head Start Homes vision is my own personal story or that of my family. So yeah. we didn't always have a stable home between the ages of three and seven. Moved home six times. Lived in crisis accommodation with the Salvos, public housing, tra- uh, transitional housing, community housing. And what I learned from that is the importance of having a stable home. Yeah. Um, 
as I said before, if you don't have a stable home, then I couldn't go to school or I was scared to make friends when I would go to school because um, right. I might have to say goodbye because I had to move school so many times. Right. You see your mum working her guts off, you know, I was only three or four, you know, mum's working her guts off, was a nurse, but doing all she could to find us that stable home. And she, she can't do anything else when you don't have that st- uh, that stable home. So it was horrible seeing mum having to go through that. And that's something that always sticks with me. But then at the age of seven, we're really lucky to move into a community housing home, had that security of tenure, uh, everything changed. We felt like we belonged in our community. We didn't have to worry about moving. I could concentrate, uh, you know, at school and yeah. mum could concentrate on, on work. And mum yeah. is the inspiration behind the idea because she went on, you know, was a nurse. She studied to become a social worker, you know, took 12 years. She was bringing up three kids at the same time. Uh, but then when she got oh. that social, social work degree, um, her, she got paid more, but her rent went up to market rent. So she had no extra disposable income. So we were stuck in that home for, you know, 15 years longer than what we needed to be, knowing that there was other three year old, four year old boys or children out there desperately trying to get in. So yeah. having experienced that, you know, it, it, it's always put within me a real passion to try and solve that problem. And I guess the fact that I then were, you know, went on to work in government, banking and lots, lots of areas, you know, when you think of a problem, whether consciously or subconsciously, you're always seeking to to solve it and and that was something that you know has been with my core um from the very beginning yeah it's i mean it's like i've got a, i've got a few questions in this so there was it sounds like at some point there was an epiphany where you're like hey this that 15 years that kind of lost decade where you were in the community housing but from your maybe in hindsight we like we didn't need to be there yeah Do you know we could have sustained buying a house but for the for the sake of the deposit and so there was uh, you know was it a in the shower one day and you're like, oh my God, you know what? We could, we could do it this way. Like, how did you even arrive at the, at the idea? First question. And then the second thought was in, in your personal situation, how did you actually, how did you, how did you, you and your mom and your family get out of that situation without the program that you went on to create? So great. So the, the first one was, um, you're right. It did come in the shower actually. Uh, <laughs> oh, awesome. Uh, as I said, I knew the problem, and what preceded what that was, <laughs> I, can't believe it. I was, in, I, I was in. I'd been working in banking for a long time, and I think the thing that led up to it was I took a career break. Was the best thing I ever did. Eleven months, yeah. um, traveling the world, and that could really, you know, help me to focus in who I am, what do I want to do, and you know, really from that learned about giving back and how that actually makes me feel happy. And and from that point, you know, I kind of committed myself to helping to bring about this change. It was always an injustice that sat with me. And it was always something as a young kid seeing, you know, I remember going to my mum's graduation and how proud she was. She was the first in our family to get that degree, you know, and, you know, then to find out that she's being penalised for doing so and her friends are getting homes and paying the same amount on their mortgage repayments um, than what right. she was in rent. It just never made any sense. So right. that, that always stuck with me. And what was the second part? What was the second question? Uh, the second thing was, so it was, it was how you actually managed to get out of the place. Oh, in the first so mum wouldn't have gotten out of the place. So we, we grew up and, you know, went on to uni and I eventually moved to Sydney. Mum wouldn't have got, uh, got out of there unless, uh, but she found a, a lovely partner who she's now living with, who, who owns her own home. So mum would have absolutely fit into that cat- category um, of right. a single mum who was was homeless. Of Still course, us kids w- would have supported her. And, you know, yeah. now that we've got m- more money, we, we would absolutely do that uh, and do do that. But the, the thing is that that just goes to show how important this model is. Um, yeah. So that's, that's what's, you know, driven us. And I just want to point, the reason people might say, well, 
why didn't your mum and your family move into private rentals so you could free up that home? Well, you try being homeless and having yeah. not a stable home and then choose an option for your children, which is less stable because the private rental market is less stable than community housing. And right. that's what a lot of families, that's why a lot of families choose to stay in there because yep. it is a less, uh, uh, it's a more it's secure more form of tenure. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. You wouldn't even consider that. Like I, I sort of think, okay, well, if I, someone doesn't want me to live in this place that I rent, then I can just find another rental and sure. But maybe as a you know single, and this is me in a former life, obviously, but single mid twenties bloke in Sydney, no problem. But as soon as there's a bunch of kids and schools involved, and like the like the ability to stay in a place, not just the actual home, but the location and the community is you know is, is super fundamental as a baseline for a lot of things. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of self evident when you think about even like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like being able to have a place and not just the physical roof over your head, but a place of belonging as a baseline for, you know, your satisfaction in life and your ability to function that, you know, higher order need and awareness and the like. It, 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 it surprises me that people would question, <laughs> would yeah. question that to be honest. Yeah. Um, oh, that's super, super fascinating. And then, so when you said you had some inspiration that came, you know, in the shower, so to speak, and then, like, how did that then, that was five years ago, how did that translate into the bit where you suddenly got from five years ago to three years ago? Um, you know, how did you consolidate that and crystallize that? It was a whole whole lot of research and a whole lot of questions and meeting people. So, yeah. you know, uh, one of the first people, George Frazers, who's now the CEO of Bank of Queensland, was formerly a, a group executive yep. of Westpac. Um, I, I used to work for him as chief of staff. Um, yeah. So I, I, after the career break, I spoke to him and he said, oh, this is a great idea. He also grew up in social housing and he right. was pas- passionately committed to it as well. Uh, right. His family, uh, interestingly, they got into homeownership through a, a family friend providing them a guarantee. So right. it, it made a lot of sense to him from, from, that, from that perspective. So having that support early on was really fundamental. And then it was just speaking to, you know, a law firm, Does it, do you think this has legs? And, you know, before right. you know, you're KWM providing pro bono support. Um, right. meeting, meeting Baptist Care Board, that was one of the first community housing providers I met. That was really, you know, that was a fundamental change for me because they said, this is exactly what we need. This light in the tunnel is what our tenants need. They don't have it at the moment. Please keep on doing what you're doing. And yeah. from there, it was just more and more conversations. And eventually, you know, the, the, you didn't, the model begins to build, the ideas come, uh, and, and you take, you just, it just slowly grew and uh, organically and, and through those conversations. I love I love that it's getting a uh, getting some momentum now too. Like that's super exciting, and and probably to that point, just as a as a closing question, if you had a like how how where do you want this to be in like three I guess three to five years? Like if you think okay, we've Charlene's just gone into a place we've got a obviously more demand than we can ever deal with in the near term. Like in in two years or five years from now, we have this conversation. Like what would your goal for this be and vision for this be? Um. Before I put numbers on, I, I like to say, as I said before, every every homeownership we do is priceless for the family, right. for, for both families. Um, right. So we don't ever want head start. We don't ever want success to be a numbers game. Uh, we want to always it always to be people focused. But having yeah. said that, of course, we want that good growth to help as many families. So we're kind of with with our strategy, we're looking to you know go from maybe four you know in the next calendar year to ten, and then try and um, exponentially go so grow from there to 20 40 that's kind of the 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 mode but what is fundamental to head start homes is to do it in a good way to do it in a positive way we're succeeding 
doesn't come at the cost of, you know, the people we're helping like Charlene. Sometimes success yeah. in numbers can start, yeah. start to become more important than the actual purpose. And yeah, we're, yeah. We're Sorry. really important of, of staying true to purpose, and we've been we've been set up in that way um, to to ensure that we always stay true to purpose. Yeah, I love I love the kind of the considered nature of that. I think often in any venture or even in a personal endeavor, right? You 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 set out with an idea in mind, and then you start to think, oh, well, the, the reality is we need to do X or do Y. We have these stakeholders, and ultimately, I, I can't remember who it was, but it was a, I think a jazz guitarist and he was like never change your act you get you get clear on what it is that you're doing and and what you're outputting and who you're servicing and what you're what what it where that resonates for you and then and then you just keep doing that and, and get better and better at that as a, at whatever speed makes sense yeah absolutely the purpose is what guides you yeah exactly exactly um so that, that was amazing yeah. i think um yeah i mean i'd I've, i'd say to anyone go and go and check out what head starts doing um i think it, it's an it's an amazing proposition and look it was super 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 good to in, in, like talk to you today that interview is the wrong word here um but the thing i also wanted to do is i i guess for me this is also a little bit of a you know i'm hoping that this interview gets in the hands of some people who are in a position where they're making some decisions over where to allocate resources and this feels to me like it's such an interesting and an obvious place for a company or an individual or a foundation to to say well why wouldn't we explore allocating funds here so i guess for me there's a bit of a direct request for anyone who listens to this um, to consider that or to pass it on to someone who does. <laughs> and, and just on that, this is a really good point. We've, we've actually building models where you can give to us and, you know, it can cost you nothing. We can give you that money back over time and create right. an outcome, or you might even get some, you know, interest. So you get the outcome and some interest from that term deposit account. So there's really creative ways that, that people can give. And finally, there's, we're just about to release a film of Charlene's journey, a two minute film. So yeah. I might share that with you after this so you can share it with. Ah, I'd love it. We'll have it. We'll have links to it, and we'll, we'll blow it up in, in, what, in whatever way we can. <laughs> That's amazing, Stephen. I'm I'm stoked to have spoken to you today, and I'm, I'm super super pumped to hear the story and the progress over the last few years, and, and looking forward as well. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity, and I wish you a lovely weekend. Thank you. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Shape the System. As usual, if you'd like to suggest a guest, someone that you know who's helped change the system for the better, please go to www.shapethesystem.org, click on the top right-hand corner, then click Suggest Guest. Make sure that you click subscribe so that you get the new episode. Shape the System is an independent podcast with support from KPMG High Growth Ventures. Connects founders to the services they need along their journey. Whether you are looking to refine your strategy, mature your finance function, prepare for a capital raise, expand abroad, or simply comply with regulatory requirements, they provide you with the support you need to drive your business forward.